Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast joining me from Longmeadow, Massachusetts is my friend Chris Rich. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Richard. Um, I'll give you a little introduction, listeners, so you kind of know who we're going to hear from. Um, Chris is a mother of three, married 25 years. Um, She's second counselor in her stake release society presidency. And her husband and all three of her kids have left the church. That's very different than she thought her life would be when they first got married. And so Chris is willing to share her story and the things she's learned and um, sort of going from a worst case, this is like my worst nightmare that I ever thought would happen to finding peace and hope um, in a beautiful family that's united. And um, this isn't theoretical for Chris, sort of like, you know, this is her story. And if you are walking this road and maybe new to it or um, a little further along, our prayers, this will help you. Chris has been on this road for a while. Um, we'll link to her podcast she started. We'll link to her website as a life coach so you can connect more with her work. Um, but I've read her outline. Listeners, what I try to do is have my podcast guests send me an outline. And I usually read it about an hour before the podcast because we do so many. I kind of zero in on each podcast about a few hours before it's ready to start. And just so deeply moved um, reading her outline and her um, the things that she's learned and the things she's willing to share. And I'm kind of excited to hear this also. Um, is that okay for an introduction? And, and do you have other things to add, Chris? That's fantastic. I think that's, I think you covered it. And Longmeadow, Massachusetts is near Springfield. It's south of Springfield, Massachusetts on the west side of Massachusetts. And Chris lives there and knows that area well, but professionally I've been to that 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 city of Springfield maybe 40 times for work and have grown up and just love that part of the world. And um, you're the first guest from that part of the world. Um, Chris and her husband um, grew up in Salt Lake City. For those of you that are familiar with the high schools there, they're both Olympus grads. Um, that's a rivalry high school to us. So we always used to um, compete against Olympus High School and I'm grateful for that wonderful high school, all the good there. So with that, I'll, I'll get you started to share your story, Chris. Awesome. Thank you. Well, first, I just want to start off by saying what an honor it is to be here, Richard. And I really am excited to share this story with you today. So um, I just want to start off by saying that my life looks very, very different than I ever thought it would. And um, I want to kind of start at the beginning. My husband and I both grew up leading very parallel lives. So we both grew up in Salt Lake City, and we were both born into multi-generational families that had, or they'd been in the church for many generations. And families that just went to church. That's what they did every, every Sunday. And so it, that's what was expected of us that we would go to church. And also all of our friends were there. So it was a very social experience for us. So I don't think either of us really went because we loved church. It was just, that's what was expected of us. And, um, we both grew up doing all the things we, you know, getting baptized at eight, going through the youth programs, I earned my young woman medallion. He is an Eagle Scout. 
uh, we both went to institute and seminary and we both served missions. And when I, so I served my mission in Taiwan, Taichung. And uh, I, when I got out on my mission, I had several experiences that really helped me to find my own testimony. And I feel like I experienced a, a considerable shift where I went from feeling like I had to keep the commandments or it was something I was supposed to do to feeling like I am choosing this. I want to keep the commandments. I want to be on my mission and to share the gospel with people. And, and that was a big shift. And I, I recognize I wanted to keep the commandments because they kept me safe. There's a lot of things I didn't have to deal with because I kept the commandments. And also that just the peace that the gospel brought into my life. And um, so I'd say like in my, when I was on my mission, I really became all in. And I just, that's where I, I feel like I really, my faith in Jesus Christ really became my anchor and brought me so much joy. And um, so since that point, I feel like I have just loved all things churchy. And by that, I mean, you know, I love, I'm a really social person. I love to talk if you haven't figured that out yet. This is a good platform <laughs> and, for um, you. I just, I love all the opportunities to be social and to get together and to talk to people. And um, we've lived in a bunch of different wards across the country. And every time I've just loved my ward family and, um, I love ministering. I love being ministered to and teaching lessons and giving talks and sharing my testimony with others and also being enriched by their testimonies. So I just, I, I love all things churchy, you could say. And um, so as a missionary and as a, a freshly returned missionary, I kind of assumed that everyone felt the same way that I did. Just, I think we, when we have our own perspective, we assume that that's how everyone else is too. And um, so I definitely had this idea that all these people in Salt Lake with me at church saw things the same way that I did. And um, so my husband and I both met after our missions and we started dating. And I assumed that because our backgrounds were so similar that we were on the same page with religion because we had done all the things. And um, so we were married in the Salt Lake Temple and we started our eternal family. And um, after, after we'd been married a, a short while, I started to realize that he wasn't as into it as I was. And he would, you know, he, he would tell me that and he would make comments here and there. And to be honest, I think I didn't want to believe what he was saying that I, I just ignored some of the comments and swept them under the rug. And, and I really figured that things would just work out. And I think my big thing is I, I thought if I do my part that he'll stay active, he'll, you know, this is, I, I didn't think he was going to leave the church. And, and so I just figured if I was a good example that everything would work out and, and it would be fine and dandy. And after we had been married for eight years and had two of our 
adorable kids. Um, he came to me and he let me know that he was done with church. And this was like, he had mentioned that, you know, like I just said, he wasn't as into it as I was, but I never thought he would be like done, done. And he, he let me know that he knew this was really important to me. And he said, I support you a hundred percent. And, um, but it's just, it's not my thing and I'm, and I'm done. And, um, for him, he never really believed in it. He just, this was just, he went to church because that's what was expected of him. That's what his friends were doing. And he, he had just kind of got, gone along with it. And he got to the point where he felt like he was not in integrity with himself. And, um, so it wasn't so much uh, that he had a faith crisis or a faith transition. It was just like, okay, I'm, this is, that's it for me. And, um, so that was a big thing for him to, to be able to say that. And also it was a big thing for me in a totally different, a different sense. And, uh, oh, Richard, it was so, so hard so hard. And I had, um, I had been through some pretty significant trials in the past. And like, for example, when I was five, I had cancer Wow. when all growing up, my, my mom had considerable health challenges, a lot of really big things that she was dealing with. Um, my older brother, he died by suicide wow. when I was 14 years old and he had just come home from his mission. Wow. And, and then my mom passed away when I was in my early twenties. So I was used to trials, not that I liked them, but I, I had gone through some pretty big things and this was huge for me in a different sense. And I had this thought just over and over again, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> just kind of like a on repeat in my head over and over again. Anytime something new came up, I would, yeah, I didn't sign up for this. And, um, I, to be honest with you, I felt like I was trapped in a nightmare and I completely felt like a victim and it felt like everything was happening to me without, you know, with, I hadn't asked for any of this. And I experienced a lot of emotions. I was devastated. I was bitter because like I said, I hadn't signed up for this. And I was really worried. I had no idea what my eternal family was going to look like. And I was scared because the church really provides this beautiful safety net when you're on the same page. But when you pull that net out, it was like, okay, what else can go wrong? What else can happen? And so that was really, really scary when I thought about that. Um, I was angry. This was, I just, yeah, I was not okay with this. I was disappointed. I had a lot of resentment, so much judgment for, you know, all the things that I thought he should be doing and what he shouldn't be doing and a lot of grief. And I was no stranger to grief with losing my brother and my mom. And a lot of times we think of grief, we think of grief with death. And clearly that's a time where we feel grief, but we can also experience grief anytime we have the loss of an expected outcome. And 
I was really, really feeling a lot of grief with, with this. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. We learned so many great things going to school and at church and, but no one ever teaches us what to do with our emotions. And I, but we all, they feel terrible or negative emotions. I don't even like to call them negative, but some of these emotions, they don't feel good. And all of us have figured out some ways that we don't have to feel them. And so for me, one of the things I did is I avoided my emotions. And so what that looked like for me is I got really, really busy. And I, you know, I was busy with my small kids and I stayed busy with my friends and my family. And also with, I just poured myself into my callings and, and service. And I did all those things. The church provides a lot of ways where we can get really busy if we need to in a good way, but also, you know, I, I definitely was avoiding how I was feeling. And so I just ran, I ran from those emotions. And another thing I did is I resisted them. And I had this kind of fake it till you make it mentality. And I would, a lot of times I would pretend that everything was okay, but it wasn't, I was really dealing with some hard things. And, um, also I reacted to my emotions, lots of crying. I went through <laughs> lots and lots of tissue in a, a good couple of years span. And I would make passive aggressive comments to my husband. I would blame him. I would jump to conclusions and anything that happened. I just automatically thought of the worst case scenario. And, um, or other times I would just shut down and I just wouldn't talk and I was just done and I wouldn't share how I felt. And I definitely was not showing up as my best self. And I, so much of this is I, I really thought that the only way that I could be happy is if my husband came back to church and I'm a pretty happy person. That's it's easy for me to be happy. But this was really, really hard. And um, so that was a big... And so I figured, okay, if I want to be happy, then I need to fix him. And so I would, I tried to fix him. I controlled him. I would, I would say my prayers and I would just beg Heavenly Father to soften his heart and to take this trial away. And so lots of just pleading in prayer, also pleading with my husband and begging him. Um, I would share talks and quotes with him. If I was listening to general conference, I made sure that it was loud enough, that even though he wasn't in the room, that he was going to hear it because something had to change so I could be happy. And, uh, and I took him on plenty of guilt trips along with that. Um, and I spent years doing this and it was exhausting. <laughs> physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I was just exhausted. And I've come to learn that there are two kinds of pain. And the first kind of pain I, I call clean pain. So clean pain and dirty pain. And clean pain is cleansing, just like the, the title. And I kind of think of it as the, you know, the moving sidewalk at the airport. Yeah. So it gets you from point A to point B. And along the way, we learn all these lessons and we become, we grow and we become better. 
we allow the atonement into our lives to help to heal us. And it can be a beautiful experience where you can connect with, with your loved ones and you can connect with God in this space. And that was not, <laughs> that was not what it looked like for me. So that's, that's door number one is this clean pain. Door number two is what I call dirty pain. And that is the kind of pain, I think of it like a hamster wheel where you are literally just spinning and spinning in all these emotions that feel terrible. So I was, um, you know, like I, I was, I would blame my husband. I had a lot of resentment, bitterness, a lot of entitlement. Like I have done all the things this shouldn't be happening to me. What's, what's wrong with my life? Um, wanting to, sometimes we look for revenge or, you know, we, we just don't show up as our best selves. And as I, as you're in this hamster wheel, you just, you stay stuck. You don't go anywhere and you don't work through any of those emotions. And that is what I was doing for a long time. And, um, I think another thing too, is I was, I was laser focused on, I had a plan and my plan was for everything to go just like I had been taught growing up in the church that you do this, this, and this, and then this is the next step. And I was convinced that I was going to still stick to that plan. And, um, and I wanted my kids to stick to that plan with me. So I really, I, I felt, I think I really doubled down on teaching them the gospel because I felt like, you know, he was teaching them all sorts of other things, good things, but not, you know, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, um, and so I felt like I needed to do his job and my job as in, as far as the gospel was concerned. And, um, and also with that idea of what things should look like, I definitely had an idea of what my husband should be like. And I had this image that, you know, he should be doing this, this, and this. And, and I was in love with that version of him, not this version of him that wasn't following my plan. (laughs) And, um, and that was, that was really hard. And that really disconnected us in our relationship. Cause I'm, you know, it was like, I was, I was in love with the idea of what he could be instead of who was in front of me. And, um, and also with that idea of how things are supposed to look, I, I was really worried about my eternal family and what that was supposed to look like. And so as I would worry about that, I would rob myself of being present in the goodness of the amazing family that I already had. And, um, so that. Yeah. So that was, those were some of the big things that were going on for me. Do you want me to take a breath? Do you have any questions for me? No, this is great. I'm writing down lots of really powerful insights. Keep sharing. Okay. So a few years into this, I reached a turning point and I was, I was listening to a, a there was a women's conference and I was listening to a talk from president Uchtdorf and he was talking about one of my favorite uh, children's stories, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And um, for anyone that's not familiar with that story, go read it or watch the movie. But um, so Willy Wonka is this amazing 
chocolatier and he has this chocolate factory and he decides to have a contest and he put five golden tickets in chocolate bars throughout the entire world. And whoever found these five tickets would get this amazing prize. So people all over the world were going bonkers, just trying to, to find these golden tickets and they were buying them up in bulk, you know, they'd buy as many as they could and they would open up the candy bar and no golden ticket. So it was just like, toss that chocolate aside. There's no golden ticket here. And President Uchtdorf talked about how a lot of times we have a very righteous desire, something that we really want, and that's our golden ticket. And we get so focused on trying to find that golden ticket that we miss out on this chocolate that, that, you know, no golden ticket, but hey, chocolate's chocolate. And I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of chocolate. And um, so he talked about how we want to be, when we have these golden tickets that we're looking for, that we also want to enjoy the chocolate. And Richard, I really feel like it was like my heavenly parents in a very loving way smacked me over the head and just said, Chris Rich, we get it. We've heard your prayer. We love your husband as much as you do. And you need to stop begging and pleading and focusing on that because there is so much good in your life that you are missing out on. And it gives me goosebumps when, when I share that with you because there were, I, I call it my chocolate switch <laughs> that when I started focusing on all the good, it made a huge difference in my life. Nothing changed. My husband didn't come back to church or any of that. But as I was able to focus on the good that was in my life, then I feel like as I, when that chocolate switch turned on, I feel like I was able to slow down on that hamster wheel of dirty pain. And that was a significant thing for me. Um, so after, after that all happened, I still had a ton of ups and downs because that's how life is. There's opposition in all things. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I look back at some of the things that I did or said now and it just, I just cringe and think, oh, I, when you know better, you do better. And um, I have experienced a lot of trial and error. And as fast forwarding in my story, so I, so I, I took the kids to church with me and they all got to a point in their life. My, my husband said that, I'm fine if you take the kids with you to church, but I don't want you to make them go. And it got to the point where all three of them just said, I, I don't believe this. I don't want to do this anymore. Religion is not my thing. And so I had three more chances wow. to figure out how I wanted to respond when a loved one left the church. And I wish I could say that I have it totally figured out now. I, I've made a lot of progress, but there's... I. I'm still a human, don't have it. I'm not perfect. Um, One of the, so I was thinking about some of the things that have really helped. Um, Definitely relying on my heavenly parents through prayer and scripture study, going to the temple, all those things that has 
definitely been an anchor for me. Um, there have been just beautiful little scriptures that have spoken peace to my soul, or maybe a, a line of a hymn that was just exactly, you know, like a little care package, right. For me, from my heavenly parents, um, there it's been super helpful for me to tell my story that just by being vulnerable and authentic and letting people know what's going on, I found a lot of peace with that. Um, I'm super blessed. I've got a fantastic support system with my family, my extended family, my ward family, my girlfriends. I'm also a part of a community where there are a lot of other active believing wives that are, that, you know, we, we have a Marco Polo group where we get together and share things and support each other. Um, and so that's been nice to have that support system. Journaling has been a beautiful thing. I have just poured my heart out in my journal and said how it really is. And, um, and it's cool to look back and be like, wow, you have made so much progress. And that's a beautiful thing to be able to look back at that. Um, therapy. Thank goodness. I'm so thankful for my therapist that's helped me with going through some of these hard, hard things. And coaching. Coaching has been a beautiful thing. I kind of think of, so I had all these good things already. And I feel like coaching was kind of like a little, um, like a bow to tie all those good things together to, to just give me so much help. Um, and specifically for me with coaching, I was able to learn how to process all of those emotions because they were definitely there. And, and to be able to let go of those because I had been running from them for over a decade. So that was just liberating to be able to learn what to do with those emotions when they come up and to be able to allow them and to turn them over to the savior and just, I'm done. This is too, I've carried this for too long and just be able to hand that over to him. Um, and, and I learned this beautiful truth that I don't have to wait for anything to happen for me to be happy. Cause I don't know. They, you know, my, my, none of my loved ones have any interest in coming back and I'm not holding my breath to be happy if I'm not going to wait that long. So coaching has really helped me to figure out what I can do and how, how happiness is my job, not happiness doesn't come from the things outside of us. Um, also another thing that has really, that I've really learned through coaching is to focus my efforts on what is in my control instead of making myself miserable and wasting my time trying to fix all the things that are, and people <laughs> that are out of my control. Cause that's just not something that we spend so much of our time trying to do that. And coaching really helped me to figure out what is in my power. And I think one of the big things, I got to take a sip for a second here. I think one of the big things for me was to, to really get clear on what is my role. I think as a, as a wife, I felt like I needed to bring my husband back, that it was my job to get him to come back with me. And then as a mom, I was doing everything I could 
to prevent my kids from leaving. And I kept trying to make the perfect spiritual experiences and sending them to EFY or this camp or just trying to to curate the perfect experiences for them. And that was exhausting because I felt like I, I thought that was my job to save them. But the Savior let me know over the years that that's not my job. That's his job. And my job as a mom is to teach them and to protect them, to support them, to connect with them. And most importantly is to love them. And when I was able to let that go and, and stay in my own lane, let the savior do his job and let me do my job. That was, it was just like a big weight off my shoulders and I don't know how that all looks, but I don't have to worry about that because that's, that's not my job. Um, and the Savior invites us to come unto him. And, but he does not ask us to drag others kicking and screaming unto him. And I had, that was something that the Spirit really taught me that I'm not asking you to drag them. You got to give them free agency is a gift and you need to let them have that too. As hard as that is sometimes. Um, and with that, I, I, I am trying to learn. I'm not there completely, but giving up my need to be right, that this is the right way. This is definitely the right way for me, but I don't know what my kids' lives should look like. That's, that's up to them to figure out. So yeah, giving up that need to be right and, and trying to convince them, you know, this tug of war of trying to pull them back into the church. That's exhausting. And so I think it's interesting because as we are interacting with people or communicating with them, so often instead of listening to them, we are waiting to figure out what to say next. We're trying to convince them. And um, so I really try to ask myself, am I listening to understand them or am I listening to convince them? Because convincing doesn't, doesn't work so well. <laughs> My mom would always say, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And I think that's, I think that's a good thing to remember. So as I really tried to stop convincing them and trying to pull them in, I, that we do that because we're scared. We want, we're operating out of fear and fear is a hard emotion to parent from and to be a, a spouse from. And, and in fact, the savior, how many times in the scriptures does the savior say fear not? And I think some other emotions that I've found that have served me so much better are curiosity or being fascinated. You know, when my kids tell me stuff, instead of trying to pull them back in and convince them, I just say, tell me all about that. Uh, that I have a different opinion on that. Help me understand why do you... What is it that makes you believe that? And then really listening, not trying to change their opinion, but just really listening. And as I've, another great emotion too is empathy. Just really trying to understand their stories and why they do what they do. And when I listen and try to, you know, listen with love, it's not hard for me to see like, okay, that makes, I can see why this makes sense for you. And um, I think that has been, super helpful. 
And one of the benefits of that has been my kids open up and tell me stuff, which is huge for me. That is, I think, one of the biggest things as a parent. I want them to know they can come to me and talk to me. And Richard, I have to tell you, some of the stuff they tell me, I I don't want to know. <laughs> it's not what I wanted them to do or but they know that they can tell me stuff. They know I'm not going to freak out and they know I'm going to love him still. So I think that is a huge thing. And with that also, just sometimes they tell me stuff that I just think, oh, no, that's not what I want you to do. And I these emotions still come up for me. I don't, it's not that I have it all figured out, but I've learned to process those emotions when I feel disappointed or when I'm sad or scared or worried. They, I, I have all those emotions still. So I process those. And then I, I love asking myself the question, do I want to love them or do I want to judge them? Cause it's really hard to have both at the same time. And that, and especially with my, I've got two kids in college, so I don't get a lot of time with them and, you know, they're gone and so our, when we're together, I really try to focus on love. And then if I need to go process some emotions after, I, I do. I give myself that space to, to feel what I, what's going on for me. And as I allow those emotions that come up, it enables me to respond instead of reacting. Sometimes I still have my moments, but that definitely is so helpful when I let those emotions be there for me. Um, another thing that I really try to focus on is when I'm having a conversation or when I'm trying to decide, should I do something or not? I like to ask myself, what is my end goal? And my big goal, I want to connect with my kids. I want them to know that I love them no matter what, and that I'm going to be there for them. So I like to ask myself, if I say this, or if I do this, is this going to build a wall between us? Or is this going to be an opportunity to build a bridge? And if it's going to build a wall, then, then I want to think twice about saying that. If it's something that's going to connect us and help me get to that end goal, then I walk over that bridge. And um, I think another thing that has really, really helped me in the temple. One of my favorite phrases, it talks about how we're, we're covenanting to have joy and rejoicing in our posterity. And I love that thought. And I've had to think about this and work on it. And it doesn't say anywhere that I've found have joy and rejoicing if they stay on the covenant path or if they do this or if they don't do this. It just says joy and rejoicing, period. And I think about that often that, and my kids, my husband, they are amazing people that bring me a lot of joy. And, and I do rejoice in that. And I had to work on that. I had to, um, I think one of the big the big things that I had to learn was to love the person that was in front of me, that person exactly the way that they are and not think about who I thought they were going to be or who I want them to be, but to get to know that person right in front of me. And um, that's not easy to do, but 
as I do that, that's where I find that joy. That's where I get to find out who they really are and what's important to them. Um, I think another thing that has been really helpful for me is to check in with a story that I'm telling about my people. It's interesting. We all have a story that we tell about our, our marriage, our kids, our lives, our past. And it's easy to, you know, like people would come up to me and say, Hey, Chris, how's, how's your daughter doing? And it would be easy. There were times I'm embarrassed to admit that I would, I would focus on, well, she's not here at church and she's, this isn't happening in this. And that was the story that I kept telling myself. And I had to shift that story. And it was actually a blessing to shift that story instead of focusing on the few things that, that aren't going the way that I thought they would to focus on the good and the beauty. I always like to, I always say to my kids, focus on the gold and not the dirt. It's easy to find the dirt on people. And sometimes we kind of have to dig for the gold, but it is when we can dig for that gold, it's always there. We can always find it. And, you know, so when people come up to me now and say, Hey, how's, how are your kids doing? I say, they're awesome. You know, right now my son's playing football or my daughter's studying this. And I, I tell them the awesome things and that, and it brings me joy because they're great. These are great humans that are doing so much good in the world. And, um, and I, I think it's, it's fascinating one of my favorite quotes is the eye sees what the brain looks for. I'm going to repeat that. I see you're thinking there for a second. The eye sees what the brain looks for. So if I'm looking for all the reasons why they're not meeting my expectation, I can find them. Or I can look for the reason or all the evidence of all the great things that they're doing and it, both both piles of evidence are there, the good things and the bad things in all of us. But if we focus on the good and choosing intentionally the story that we want to tell about our people, it just, it feels so much better to tell the story that, you know, my kids are doing amazing things. My husband, he's awesome. He's doing all sorts of good stuff. And that the more I tell myself that story and practice it with other people, then I get to feel that joy from telling my story. Um, another, another thing that I think has really, like, I have to zoom in on today instead of focusing on eternity, because I don't know what that's going to look like. I have no idea, but I really like to, I ask myself, who do I want to be today? How do I want to show up in this situation today? How can I connect with my people today? Can I send a text? Can I send a, can I give them a little present? Can I go, what can I do today to help me connect? And how can I demonstrate my love for them today? Exactly as the amazing people they are and not worry about eternity. Cause that's just, I like to zoom in on what's going on right in front of me. The person that's really in front of me and let the savior figure out all that other stuff. Cause I, I really, I don't know how that works. So, okay, Richard, I gave you lots of stuff. Do you have any questions for me? I, just lots of comments. This is really helpful, but 
keep sharing. I think you've got some more stuff. My impression is to get everything you'd like to share. Get it um, all out. Get okay. it to our listeners. There's more good nuggets. I have a feeling you can share. Um, well, I think so. This is kind of my my conclusion for all this. So I didn't imagine that any of this was going to happen. The good stuff and the hard stuff. I hadn't, we don't, none of us know what our lives are going to look like. And it for sure has not been easy. There have been a lot of times where it's been really hard. And, um, and now, you know, like looking at our family, we certainly don't have it all figured out. We're a normal family, just like your family and everyone else's. Um, but I, I've really learned that when you only focus on plan A of what you thought things were, were going to look like, you miss the beauty in plan B. And so I think it's really important that we can be open to reality of what's... I love um, Byron Katie has a quote. And she said, when you fight with reality, you lose, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> And so when I was able to set down my plan A and be present and learn to love what the beauty in plan B, there is a lot of good and and beautiful things in my plan B. Um, And I had to let go of my plan and allow the Lord to guide my path. And that was confusing for me because it was like, but this is the Lord's plan. You're supposed to do all these things and go to church and keep the commandments and do all these things. So that was hard for me to understand that this is, you know, this is working beautifully for me. And my faith is a huge part of who I am. And I'm going to stick with that. But I had to let other people figure out their lives and to, um, have their own experiences to enjoy the gift of free agency, even though sometimes I would love to be able to be like, no, I don't want you to have that free agency. Cause there, there've definitely been some things that have been really hard with that. But um, I think that's the big thing is just let go of how I thought it was going to look and let the Lord guide me in what is, cause that's, that's what's reality for me. And um earlier, I mentioned that I kept having this thought, this is not what I signed up for. And I can't tell you how many times I've thought that over millions of times, I'm sure. But I've come to understand that this actually might be what I signed up for. If my point, I kind of think of it as, I don't know if you've ever done this, but um, sometimes when I'm like signing up my son for sports online, you put in all the information and it's um, then at the end, it'll, you're ready to put your credit card in, but then it says uh, you have to sign a waiver and there's tons and tons of fine print. And I, I'm just going to be honest here. I never read that. I just scroll as fast as I can and hit accept and then give him my credit card. And I wonder sometimes I used to kind of joke, did I do that before I came to earth? <laughs> but now I look at it as, if my point is to become the best version of myself that I possibly can and to become the person that my heavenly parents really want me to become, this might be the perfect, absolutely perfect situation for me as hard as it is. And I, 
when I look back over all of this, sorry, I got to take another sip. When I look back over all of this, I have to say that I like the person that I'm becoming. I am much less judgmental. I am a lot more empathetic. I have a more compassion for myself and for other people that are going through hard things. I'm a lot more vulnerable and authentic. I'm learning to love people unconditionally. And when they have a different opinion, I can accept them and their opinions easier. Um, I, I look for those people that are in the margins that are struggling. I am accepting of, I'm a lot more accepting and loving than I was. I'm not nearly as, as black and white. I've had to learn to, to live in that gray area where things don't look how I thought they were. And when I look back at all of that, I am becoming a lot more Christ-like than I was. And I know I have a long way to go. I certainly don't have it all figured out, but I am looking back. I'm thankful that I am the person I am today. And, and I'm proud of that person. I love, I love this person that has gone through this journey with these amazing people. And I also, I'm so thankful that I get to be their mom and their wife, my husband's wife. Cause I look, sometimes we look at other people's trials and we think like, oh, I would totally trade you. <laughs> I don't like this trial. I want to, I want to swap with someone else. And then I look back and I think, you know what? I, no one is going to love my husband or my kids the way that I do. And I am thankful that I get to be the one that is there for them to love them and support them because it's an honor to be their mom and to be my husband's wife. And I, I think those are the things that that's the person that I'm, that I'm trying to, to become to, you know, like I'm striving to be more Christ-like and this is the perfect, the perfect place to learn how to do that. So so there you go. Um, keep sharing. Tell us about your coaching business. Um, I got to take it after that lump in my throat. Hmm. So um, coaching has was so helpful for me and is so helpful that I decided that I wanted to become a certified life coach and help other people in my situation. So I'm a general life coach. I coach on any, any topic. And I also coach members of the church that are trying to connect with their loved ones and their mixed faith relationships. And I, I love this space because I get it. I know what it's like. I know how hard it is. And I have tools that can totally help people when they're going through this and, and they work, they work when we use them. So, um, and it's, it's beautiful because I've, I've really come to understand that you don't have to be on the same page as your spouse or your kids with religion to have an amazing relationship. So, um, yeah, so that's, so I, that's what I do. I get to coach people in, in this space and any, any other situations that people are trying to improve their lives. 
Tell us your website and your the name of your podcast. Um, so my website is Chris Rich Coaching, all one word. And um, my what my podcast is the Mixed Faith Relationship Podcast. And it's you know it's fun. I have a lot of friends that listen that you know that they're not religious, and it's it's great because these tools work yeah. in any relationship. So. Yes, I do use examples from mixed faith relationships, but you can apply these same tools to any, any area of your life. So that's, um, and also I I put out every Friday, I send out a mixed faith Friday email that has a little, just a quick little nugget of goodness to help you, um, just a little tool to help you in your mixed faith relationships. So you can find that on if you go to my website there, I also have, if you go to my website right now, there is a, um, 10 quick tips to connect with your loved one and just quick little things that you can do to help you connect. Cause I think that's, that's our goal is just wanting to connect with, with our people. So, yeah. And listeners, that's, you may think of Chris and you may put a K in your brain, but don't it's C-R-I-S. C-H. C-H-R-I-S, chrisrichcoaching.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, But think of C-H-R-I-S. You've got something on your notes called extras, and I think you should share all your extras because I think there's some more cool things for you to share. You know what? I snuck them in. You snuck them in? I I, I gotcha. I went through, um, at least I think so. Yeah, you did as I'm reading some of them. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Here's a couple little extras. Oh, I good. did that. These are bonus. I'll add a I'll add a little bit. I did good. I mentioned that we want to check in with a story that we're telling ourselves and other people about our loved ones. And we use a lot of language in the church and I think just as humans that um wayward. They're the black sheep, they're apostate. And it creates this very us versus them mentality. And, you know, anytime I use those, just like saying those words, you know, if you're saying that my, my child is wayward, ouch, (laughs) just thinking about that, that is not a, that's not language that I like to use. I, I like to, I just, I like to catch myself when I'm, when the story that I'm telling is creating a lot of heartache and sadness for me. I want to check in. Is this something that I can, that I can look at this with a different perspective? And that's a beautiful area where a coach can really come in and help you and just help you see like, yeah, when you're, every time you say that, that, that thought that you're thinking creates a lot of pain for you. Um, and I also like, this is one of my favorite things and I'm glad you brought me back because this is an important thing. Um, I like to ask the question, what story is God telling about my spouse or about my kids? Because it, it's easy for us to, to think that everything has gone wrong. Things aren't going according to plan. But I think if, if we were to ask our heavenly parents, I don't think they're freaking out about the things that we're freaking out about. I think they understand like, this is part of the plan. People People have free agency. They have journeys. I don't know what that's going to like for my people. If they come back, awesome. If they don't, that's their journey. And I don't think our heavenly parents panic like we do. And 
they, you know, like, again, how many times has the Savior asked us to fear not and to let, to trust him and to let him do the saving and to do his part? We don't, that's not our job. Love that. It's just a terrific podcast, Chris Rich. Um, every one of these do, every one of these that we do, I learned something new. And we've done kind of a series of mixed faith family podcasts. Um, a few that have been released, one that's in the queue right before you. And um, I just recognize a lot of LDS families are walking this road and need stories. You've been on this road for a while. And I think your long view of this space is really helpful for others. These are some of the things I wrote down as first. Um, no one teaches us what to do with our emotions. And then you went through all those emotions. They're on your outline. I could read them, but I thought that was so insightful. And um, that's why life coaches and therapists and people that have skills in the space are so important. We don't really talk about emotions at church and what to do with them. That's not typically a subject that comes up. Um, but emotions are normal human things that are God-given things that are normal for us to feel. And I like the way you normalized everything you were feeling, as, and it would be a normal way to feel that way. I love your saying, um, the only way I, earlier in your story, the only way I'd be happy is if my husband came back to church. And there are stories like that in the, you know, I wrote down Alma the Younger, um, yeah. you know, so you you didn't say this, but I wondered, you know, if you read those stories, I think if I just do more, I can have an Alma the Younger type experience and my husband will figuratively see an angel because of my faith and my prayers and my work. And that's always possible, but I think it's better if we just recognize the agency your husband has and you focus on, like you invite us to do things that you could control. Yeah. Because if you believe that's going to happen, then it's all back on you, Chris, that it's just, you know, it's, I need to do more. There's something missing in my formula here for my husband to come back. And um, so I loved that. And I love the sidewalk versus the hamster. That's, that's gold. No one's ever shared that with me. Um, and clean pain versus dirty pain. And the hamster wheel just going around and around and recognizing I need a new way. And it yeah. may take some work to do that, but I need to do that. I may not even know how to get off the hamster wheel, but at least I'm aware I'm on it and I need to get into a different space. And that's really helpful. But you also help people know how to do that. I've never and heard. I think that's, that's an important thing, too, to recognize. I mean, I still get I don't. Like I said, I don't have this all figured out, but I still get, you know, something new happens and I recognize, I'll ask myself, is this clean pain that's going to help me move forward or am I just spinning? And sometimes I'm just spinning. It's like, okay, you can spin as long as you want, but when you're ready, you've got the savior there to help you to let this help you. We can either become bitter or better and I want to become better. Um, yeah, here's those, all those emotions, devastated, bitter, worried, scared, angry, disappointed, resentful, judgment, grief. I'm so much grief. And you know grief with the, the, your brother who died by suicide, your mother who died of cancer. But this is a whole different type of grief. Yeah. And potentially it's eternal grief that, uh, you know, I've lost my eternal family. So I love that you walked, helped us learn how to find peace. And I think a 
an accurate application of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we know about loving heavenly parents and applying a salvation and a long view of of this is you can have peace and all and I would you know I think it's okay to still have all the hopes you have they may not be in mortality but I think you've done a good job of saying I don't know how this is going to work in eternity I'm just not I can't think about that right now or worry about it. I'm going to my people I love you calling your family my people <laughs> That's very natural for you and just focusing on things you control. I've never heard. I think, oh, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Go ahead. I love that quote by um, Henry. I think it's Henry Eyring, how he talks about, he shared a story once where he was talking to an apostle saying, I'm worried that my family members aren't going to make it. So there's going to be empty chairs. We hear that, that we hear that thought when I don't love that thought either. It's a scary thought. And, um, and he, he said that this apostle spoke to him and said, you're worrying about the wrong thing. Focus on you focus on, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically focus on what's in your control and who you are and who you want to be now. And everything else will work out better than you ever imagined. I love that. And I've never heard Elder Uchtdorf's story about the Willy Wonka and the, I think that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the same story with the golden ticket, or is that a different story? Yes. Yeah. It's okay. the same one. And, it's a great, uh, my favorite talk ever. You know, you know what? I can send you that to we put, can the put the link that in. The show a, notes. So let's put that in the show notes. And that's yeah. a talk. Often these podcasts like yours can generate content for somebody's talk at church or in a family situation. So that. Yeah, I like chocolate too. Um, and so you do focus on the golden ticket, but there's a lot of, of good right there. Um, I love your line. You Some of this you said very um, intuitively, fear is a hard emotion to parent from. I don't think mm. that's actually written down in your outline. It just was a really thoughtful thing you said. I loved your end goal. What's You kind of went to the 30,000 foot level of what's my purpose as a parent, as a mother? what's my goal here? And you went to connection and love and talked about how to do that. Um, that was really helpful. Listeners, it's interesting because it's you practice what you preach because for, before we went live, you told me what your husband does professionally and what your kids do. And it was all full of your love for them and the things that they are doing. And there was no no, like, oh, I'm really sad about this. Or there, it was just like you, you're walking the talk um, because of the way you, now I get tenderhearted, the way you talked about your husband and who he is and your kids and who they are and how much you love them. And you just talked about the good things they're doing. Um, I love this line. This might be what I signed up for. You have this visual imagery of taking an idea like that that is a good concept, but then you, then you took us back to the accept terms of those long screen scrolls that I don't read either. And I just hope I'm not going to get in jail one day. Um, I'll be there with you. <laughs> but I think I'll do that. But I just love that, that maybe even though, you know, you, as you walked out of the Salt Lake Temple, you know, sort of on the same page with your hopes for the future and both return missionaries, that that's pretty logical you would think this is not what i've signed up for and you said i thought that a million times before and it certainly validate anybody that feels that way but we may all get to the point maybe this is what i did sign up for and and this is a good thing that doesn't take away the pain or all those emotions but you've learned how to 
channel all those emotions and pain into a healthy, positive way. And I, I really love that. Um, um, then I wrote down something else here, but I can't remember. can't read it very well. Uh, more thoughts that come to your mind. Um, I was just thinking, I actually just released a podcast with that title. This is what I signed up for that <laughs> I think came out just recently. And in there, I was talking about when I love the story of the Jaredites, when they are trying to get the, to the promised land, that they go through all their stuff of getting the light and the air in their boats. And the Lord lets them know pretty clearly that he would provide wind for them. And like, thank goodness, because you need wind to get from point A to point B. And though, if you look at the terminology that's used, it's words like monstrous waves and tempests and talks about them being pushed under the water. And he always brings them back up, but there's going to be some significant wind. And I think that... Um, it's important to, I think it's easy to look at our situations and just think like, why is this happening to me? Why, why me? I'm doing all the things I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And we need to remember that the Lord provides the wind. He is the one that is trying to get us to our promised land where we can be our our best selves to become the best version of ourselves. And sometimes that is going to be pretty windy. And I, I love that term monstrous waves because it's, I've had some of those waves and I'm guessing all of the listeners, we've all had these monstrous waves and to just be like, okay, this is just, he's helping me get there. Cause I, maybe I did sign up for this. I love one of the things you do is you continue to, read your scriptures, obviously, conference talks, attend church, and and there's things like monstrous waves you just shared. I would never have thought of that in the context you just shared it, and I'm assuming your earlier self wouldn't have thought it in that context either, and that's one of the benefits of continuing to reading is we read the same thing, the same story, but given our life situation has changed, we find new meaning and new perspective, and that's one of the the beauties of reading scriptures and um, Definitely. And I think too, when, when you read the Book of Mormon, it's, it's about a whole bunch of families with a whole bunch of problems, <laughs> just like mine, just like yours, just like all, you know, like these aren't perfect families. And it's, it helps me to find peace. And like, this is all, this is in the Lord's hands. And I just focus on, and I think that's one other thing I would add is that I've, you know, I've let my, my people know, Hey, I'm, I'm headed to church on Sunday. I'll be back. And they know I keep doing the things that are important to me. And, and that I think that has really been helpful for me to do all those things, to read my scriptures. I don't make them do it or I don't, I don't share those with them at this point, but it's, those are important to me. And that's something that part of my self-care is making sure that I'm doing the things that that feed my, my spirit. Talk about, um, I don't know if your earlier self felt this way or other women, women may feel this way a little bit more than men, but men may um, feel this way that, you know, this is my fault. 
Um, if I had done something different at some point um, in my life or in my work with my kids, or I worked outside the home as a professional woman, or we can go down all these roads and look at another mom with three kids that her husband's active and her kids are active. And so this is me. This is something that I've done wrong. This is God punishing me for something. Um, and I'm just, it's my fault. I don't know if you went down that road, but I know you would know a thoughtful answer to give to anybody that feels that way. I think, yeah, I've definitely been in that space and I've talked to so many of my clients. That's, it's definitely something that comes up. Um, I like to, there's a concept that I love called 50, 50. I am a 50, 50 mom part of the time. And I'm part of the time I'm a rock star and I show up and I do all the things I'm kind, I'm considerate, I'm fun and confident. And part of the time I'm a hot mess and I, and I say things I wish I hadn't. I'm impatient. I'm very human. And, and I, it helps me to give myself grace because when I look back, are there things that, that I wish I hadn't have said or done totally. And I own that like, yeah, that probably wasn't the best idea, but I can look back at myself with love. I was doing the best with what I knew at the time. And it's easy to have regrets. And I like to remind myself regret is only useful for those of us that own a time machine. And I don't, <laughs> I can't go back and, and fix that. But I definitely, um, I, it's okay as parents that we, that we make mistakes because the way I know that is our heavenly parents sent us these kids and they already knew we were imperfect. And just knowing that this is an opportunity for, um, it's my, I, I'm a 50, 50 human, just like everyone else. So yeah, I did make some mistakes. Also, it's one that when I am feeling that regret, our, our emotions are the fuel that we take action from. And when I do go to that space of regret, I, the actions that I take usually are actions that separate we, me from my loved ones. I might, if I'm feeling like shame or regret, then I probably go hide and I go grab a pint of Ben and Jerry's with my phone and Netflix. And I kind of, I go and pull myself away from, from my people. And I've really learned that there's a lot of emotions that just aren't, they don't help me achieve my goal of connecting and loving my people. So when that comes up and it does, because we do, we all have regrets and whether they're, and I, who knows if that's why they did or not, we can't prove that's, you know, why people leave or not. But when I am feeling regret, I just know that I don't show up as my best self. So I allow that emotion. I let myself feel that. And then I choose, okay, what do I want to do now? So that happens moving on. Where do we want to go from here? And I think that's where a coach can be so helpful because we do feel those emotions, whether they're, whether those things really happened or not. Great answer. Here's another tender question. I, how do you handle just, I don't know if it's triggering, but you know, when you go to church or let's say you go back to your 
Olympus High reunion and there's one of your classmates with three kids and all three of those kids are returned missionaries and marrying the temple where you go to church and you hear homecomings and farewells and announcement on the fridge with a temple wedding and and that is not the reality of where your three kids are right now. How do you if is that triggering at times? And if so, how do you what advice do you give? What if what have you learned and what advice would you give to other those parents that aren't participating in these milestone moments that they'd hope for? And then they've sort of sometimes gotten at peace with that, but then they get triggered because yeah. of the other experiences other LDS parents are having. That is such a great question. And it comes up often. One of I think just having compassion with myself and identifying, you know, like someone, I see it, let's say I see a picture on Instagram of someone's daughter just returned from her mission. And I will have, you know, like jealousy. Well, I'll feel that. And instead of making myself wrong or thinking that's not Christ-like, I just let myself feel jealous. Wow. And it doesn't take a long it, now that now that this is something that I practice every day and I'm coaching people to do this. I just sit there and say, wow, yep, I feel jealous. And it's totally okay that I feel jealous. Of course I feel jealous. I thought that my life was going to look like this. So I just let myself feel jealous. And then let it just, I just allow it to be there and let it just sit there and instead of trying to push it away, resisting it or avoiding that emotion or reacting to it, it's just like, oh yeah, there it is. And when I see that, you know, someone's child just got married in the temple or, you know, all these, when I go to church and I see other people's sons passing the sacrament, there are times where I'm like, oh, yep, here it comes. And this is what it feels like to be a a mom who feels jealousy. It's totally okay. And I love you, Chris Rich. I just, I let myself feel that emotion and it doesn't last. A lot of times it doesn't take all that long. It's just like validating my experience, validating how I, how I feel. And, um, and when I allow it, it, they say on average that an emotion, if we can learn to allow it takes about 90 seconds to process or you can drag it around and run from it for decades. Wow. <laughs> so that's that's my answer. I let myself be jealous and w- whatever emotion comes up for me, I give myself that space. That's really thoughtful. It's very consistent with your one of your earlier lines. No one teaches us what to do with our emotions and you ran from them and now you just accept them and sit with them. And that's really thoughtful. So the goal isn't to live a life free of emotion um, no. and separate yourself from every potential trigger by whatever that would, it's not sure it's possible to do, but um, that seems really sustainable. What you just suggested. I love this um, joy and rejoicing in my posterity. No one's really talked about that on the podcast. And um, I love the way, you know, you, I sense you just have joy and rejoicing in your posterity and you're not, looking that through the lens of are they in the church or not they're your posterity and oops you cut out for a minute there my friend oh um let me just pause yeah i think 
I think I, I've kind of, I'm trying to see that as that's a commandment to find joy in our people. And sometimes it can be hard. Sometimes they're making choices that, that we don't like. And, and I think that it's an exit. This is where we need to do the work of figuring out what can I, going back to that idea of looking for the gold instead of the dirt, looking for intentionally going in and, and trying to find things that can bring us joy. And also if the things that we are, if we keep doing the same things over and over again, and it's not working out, figuring out what can I do to change this? How can I, what can I do to create more joy with, with my child or my spouse? And, and also being very prayerful about that, fasting about that. If, if this is a covenant that you've asked me to keep heavenly father, please show me what that looks like and how can I find more opportunities for joy. Any more things, thoughts, ideas that come to your mind, Chris, that you'd like to share? Well, I, I just think what an honor it is to, to be in these families that, that looks so different than, than we, none of us have any idea how things are going to work out. And I'm just, I'm so thankful for Heavenly Father's plan of putting us in, sending imperfect people to earth to live together in a group of, as an imperfect family and the things that we can learn and the joy that we can find in that. I think it's, you know, a lot of people have asked like, Chris, do you ever get to the point where you're not sad anymore? Do you ever stop grieving? And I, our emotions are something, it's not something like check, I'm done. I'm done being sad. I'm done grieving. Anytime something new comes up, it's like this new experience. And um, I think it's when, when we can focus, like just let those experiences happen to us, let us have those emotions and, and look for, just know that there's joy on the other side of this. When I started this journey years ago, it was so painful and hard. And I just couldn't imagine ever getting to the point where I felt this much joy and happiness. I still have all those other emotions as well, but that the, all the, pleasant, wonderful emotions, joy, compassion, love. I, that's available as well. If we are, as we look at how we tell our stories, when we rely on our heavenly parents, when we, when we look for the good, all of that is available just like it is to anyone else. It's just a terrific podcast. One of the very best we've ever done. You bring this, you bring your lived experience plus all these um, sort of insights that either are intuitive to you or, or you've learned through your coaching work or reading of the scriptures. Um, but it's, your work is really needed. Just an honor to have you on the podcast. And there's a bunch of listeners that have just been really helped by the things you've shared. And I don't know if any of the other rich family is going to listen to this podcast, but you are a beautiful family. And this is a beautiful family love story. And I'm just so moved by this family and the love and support and open communication and principles that bring you together and keep you together as a family. And 
our family's not perfect. Your family's not perfect. No one's family's perfect. But this is a beautiful, I've been talking a lot about Apollo 13, Gene Kratz, you know, and the space mission commander and everything's going sideways. And he stands up and says, excuse me, this is going to be our finest hour. And it was. And I think this is the finest hour for the rich family. It's different than it was going to be, but I think it's one of your finest hours this period of I time. I love that. And um, listeners, um, this podcast is coming out just after my third book's been released and um, not trying to sell books too much in someone else's podcast like Chris's, but I will link in the show notes. And one of the chapters in this book, it's called Building the Good Ship Zion. And one of the chapters is chapter four, how should we treat those that leave the church? And the, it's not an invitation to leave the church, but it's an invitation to follow Chris's example is what can we do um, to reduce the tension between those in the church and those out and reduce divisiveness. And how can we do that? Yeah, it's painful. Like Chris is sharing, but she also invited us to do things like, you know, not use these labels. You've said a few like wayward and apostate and those aren't helpful um, to try to bridge this gap here with emotionally charged labels. So there's a, I realize it's been a blind spot for me um, how to treat people that live the ch- leave the church, and I've been trying to do better in that space. And so, um, you know, you could you're welcome to read that chapter of the book, but act on I the love impression. So. <laughs> well, that was kind of you to say too, Chris. <laughs> I'm not sure you need to read the chapter. You could have written it, but you're kind to say that. Um, <laughs> but listeners, um, act on the impressions you felt um, on what you can do in your circle of influence based on the things Chris shared. And um, we'll look to your website, Elder Uchtdorf's talk in the show notes. And anything else that comes to your mind before we sign off, Chris? Well, I just, if you are starting this journey, I just want to let you know that there is peace and there's hope. And it's, there. It's hard. It definitely is hard, but it's going to be hard in any other situation. We weren't sent here to do easy. And I just want you to know that there are resources and people out there that are there to support you and love you through whatever your journey looks like. Well said. Thank you, Chris Rich from Long Middle, Massachusetts, that beautiful part of Western Massachusetts. And Richard Osler, Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.